I wish uh, that every every excuse to celebrate wasn't sort of overshadowed by just impending dread constantly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> Let's put that in a drinking song. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Motor Mouth Podcast, a podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere. My name is Joel Tyree, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, the Tim Gerard. Hello. Hello. Two topics enter, and all sanity's left. Tim, what did you bring? So today, I would like to talk about my new age phase. <gasps> really? And, really, and... And like when we talked about my OCD to sort of open the floor, because I know it's one of those things where I feel like you're probably curious about stuff, but it's like, can I ask that? So yes, to open the door to questions that, you know, you can, you can ask whatever you want. You know, this is, this is going to be a safe space. And Tim, (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shit. I, Fuck. Okay. In in classic, you you brought something very intimate, and I'm bringing something superficial. So <laughs> I wanted to talk about Godzilla. Oh sweet. <laughs> so, oh shit. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> was not was not expecting that at all. <laughs> Told you, I've I have topics for months lined oh, up. Oh shit. I finally made a list. Like I have a formidable list now. I'm I, I feel better prepared so i went down i was like oh that's i have some stuff that it's like i know you want to talk about them Mm -hmm. and i'm also like doing research quietly so i can steal them from you (laughs) oh okay (laughs) oh i don't even know where to start with this i for the (laughs) listeners just context like tim and i have been (laughs) friends for a while what is it been like five years uh no that sounds about right it might be longer yeah um I mean, time all seems irrelevant now since COVID. So it's like, what is time even? Um, I'm trying to think back because I know I know we started being friends. It was after Comic Con, but I can't remember which year it was. I think it was the first year I was working in the ID card office. Like, I think I started in like March, and we were friends by July. Okay, that makes sense. What what year was that? That would have been like. Fuck, 2015? I think I also started working mail services in March. Yeah, I started mail service March of 2016. Oh, well, then it would have been 16. Yeah, I, I think that I think that tracks. So, yeah, so, so, five, yeah, years. so five years. Okay. Shit, okay. <laughs> See, now I feel bad that I was like, no, it's more than five years. I'm like, no, it's exactly five years. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout the five years of our friendship, Tim has, has will just drop nuggets from his life experience. Just and, peppered in. 
not really like give us any context. Like he's like, I worked in a trombone factory and then just pivots <laughs> over here. I basically dated a succubus. I'm pivoting over here. And then I had this huge new wave, uh, or new age. I keep calling it new wave. New wave is a, a music thing. And then you're like, Oh, I, I went to a, a meeting of people that was, most likely a cult and it's like oh god and then you just kind of pivot away so <laughs> i have been chasing the white whale of this discussion topic our whole friendship <laughs> and it's a big day for me <laughs> so yeah and that's the thing is like i i also you know to, to number one fill in those gaps but also you know like that's part of it too is i know like i said with the ocd discussion it's like you know I know. Yeah. Like you're, you're, we're kind of told like not to just ask people about stuff about themselves, you know, in case it's a sensitive topic, but it's like to, to open it up to that discussion and be like, yeah, sure. Like ask me questions, you know, and it, and it's also, cause it's never occurred to me because I'm, I'm pretty open about stuff, you know? So it d- didn't really occur to me that like, Oh, what if, what if Joel has questions that he's too polite to ask? Or if it's like, if I open the door, it's like, okay, like open the floodgates, you know? Right. <laughs> and so I, I guess it's become more and more relevant because I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more woo-woo and more new agey in terms of like your place in the universe, what you think is going on in terms of like energy and religion and the meaning of life and all that stuff. And most of my, my lazy research into it is Pete Holmes's podcast. You made it weird. Cause he's a huge, like lapsed, well, not lab. He would still call himself Christian in 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 mm. some sense, but like he listen, like he's done a whole bunch of research with like Richard Rohr's works and uh, different Eastern traditions and more. He, he's very hooked into these things, and I, I I I call myself hooked in by association because he's read them and constantly quotes them to other people, and I listen to it and I enjoy it. Um, so. It, in I think at one point I had mentioned like I'm becoming more new agey and you saying I'm becoming less, <laughs> so we're we're at opposite arcs. <laughs> so I it's just been I, fast and I mean like who who like laps Catholic right like that's yeah and I feel like that's been kind of the history of my life is making friends with lapsed Catholics and I, I like to say recovering people. Catholics recovering yeah. that's you're, you're never not a Catholic it's always like in the back of your mind digging at your brain and you're like <laughs> we'll take you as soon as you're warm <laughs> 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 fucking life of Brian and or uh no uh meaning of life <laughs> yeah that's from the every sperm is sacred song oh that's right yeah oh I realized I, I watched something about just to deviate wildly real quick um I watched the Python team talk about making that movie and Eric Idle said, it's the only Python film that's a musical. And it is because there's like six. I thought Life of Brian was a musical. No, 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 no. They did a, so spam a lot is a stage show that is a Holy grail. And then they did do, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy, which was like a live performance. Okay that had singing and it was life of Brian adjacent, but okay. the film that w- is a musical is yeah. meaning a life. So what, what, what's, what about the always look on the bright side of life? That song that I've heard. It's just, that's the, the ending sequence. Oh, okay. So, so just okay, one person it. in it. Like there's one song at the end. Got it. Okay. 
see, I, I've never seen that film. I just saw that one part and I'm like, oh, I guess it's a musical. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is not. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, okay. I, I don't even know how, how we should, like, should we take this in a, in cycles? I, I don't know. Like, death of Catholicism for Tim, new age and, and p- potential cultishness and then where you are now and i'll i'll jump in with my <laughs> inputs <laughs> so different so there's actually a part two to this which will be another episode okay is sort of where i ended up after okay. the new age state. so so yeah so this discussion won't go to present day this will go to when basically when the new age phase ended and what what kind of took its place slash helped me out of it, you know, and it's, Tim, um... I'm so pleased. I, I just <laughs> let me take a moment to, to be present in this moment. right now. <laughs> it, it's glorious. Thank you. <laughs> it's also, that's, that's great. Mindfulness is a great thing to talk about in the realm right? of this exactly. conversation. <laughs> so, okay. So I'll try to do like the history pretty quickly. Cause it's less interesting. So, so yeah, so I grew up Catholic um, you know, like at, at some point, you know, it was what, what started really bothering me about Catholicism was the idea of not being able to ask questions, you know, mm. like things that I didn't understand. It's like, you, oh, it's not like, here's an explanation for it. It's like, you know, oh, you're not supposed to ask about that. We don't ask about that. We just have faith. And it's like, okay. Like, um, th- there were parts of it that I did like, but I think it was more, um, yeah. The, and, and, and actually what was funny is when I was going to, um, I think some people I've heard them call it catechism. We called it CCD, like where you go to basically it's like religious class for an hour a week. Mm. Um, and there was actually one nun who I really liked and she would actually talk to me like a person, not like a child, even though by this point I was, you know, you're getting ready for confirmation. You're supposed to be an adult in the eyes of the church. Mm. And it's still like every question I was treated like a child who it was like, Oh, you know, not even I'll tell you when you're older. It's like, you can't know that until you, until you die or whatever. And there was one nun, her name was sister Rita, you know, she would actually like respond to my questions so much to the point where there were times I was like, actually like shot down, like, well, why is this, this? And she'd be like, well, because this, 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 I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a good answer. Okay. Got it. <laughs> you know? So, so it's kind of interesting. There was always kind of like a special place for, for her in my heart that it was like, okay, you treated me like a person. You treated this, like any other set of information where it's like, you know, or any other teacher where it's like teacher, I don't understand. Like, you know, what teacher just tells them like, basically like, shut up. You're not supposed to understand, you know, as opposed to explaining it further. So, and then this, this nun actually did that. She would explain it and kind of go into more detail, which, which I also respected because it's like, okay, you actually know the literature and the, the, whereas I feel like a lot of people maybe don't even know that much about their own religion. It's just mm-hmm. like, well, this is what my parents told me. So it's what I'm telling you, you know? Um, so, and, and, you know, I know, you know, yeah, if my, if my mom ever did hear this, I'm sure she would, she would hate it, but, you know, going off to college definitely helped break me out of stuff because it's like, you know, you're not there with your parents to make you go to church every Sunday, you know? And, um, you know, and I think for a while there were times in college where I would still go to church because, you know, I was trying to, uh, you know, I guess kind of find my, some sort of religious slash spiritual identity as an adult on my own. Um, and that's something that I've always seen that, that kind of bothers me a lot of the time. And 
and I don't think it's the kid's fault. Sometimes it's, I think it's the parent's fault is that a lot of, a lot of young kids will just do the opposite of what their parents tell them when they get the chance, which I feel like is no, that's not more being yourself than you're doing what your parents tell you to, because it's still in response to what your parents are telling you to. So it wasn't that like, okay, my parents tell me to go, go to church. Therefore I'm definitely not going to church and that's who I am. It was like, well, what if there are, uh, you know, other churches? What if I choose? Let me try that, you know? So I would try, you know, I went to a few churches here and there. Um, you know, at one point, that's kind of what I thought. It's like, well, maybe it's just my church in particular that I don't like. Um, I think at one point I, I was even kind of experimenting with like different subsets of Christianity, um, you know, like different churches where it's like, um, I I can't remember what any of them were. I remember in high in in college, I actually dated a girl who was Baptist and I would go to church with her family on Sundays. Um, mostly because I wanted to be a good boyfriend, but it was also just kind of like, well, let me see what's different with this, you know, than, than the church I know, you know? Um, so I had kind of some experience with that. Um, and then part of it was, uh, I think there were, there were a few, a few books, Actually, I think there were two main books when I was in college. There was another book and slash author that came afterwards. But while I was in college, um, there was uh, there were two books that kind of came to me by by you know friends of mine had introduced them to me. One was the Celestine Prophecy, which my cousin had introduced me to, and one was uh, Conversations with God, which my roommate had introduced me to. And like gobbled those books up, loved them. Uh, read both of them were part of a trilogy. So I read the full trilogy. So there's the Celestine prophecy. I think the next one's called the 10th insight and then the secret of Shambhala. Those are by James Redfield. I believe his name is for anyone who's interested. Um, and then the conversation with God, it was book one by Neil Donald Walsh. There's a book two and book three, and he's also written a ton of other books. I've written some of them. Um, some, some are great. Some are fine. Uh, the other really good book that, which I led read years later by Neil Donald Walsh was tomorrow's God, which is really interesting. Um, Oh, so the whole thing about conversations with God is this, this guy writing a book where he started writing questions down. And as he's writing, the questions were being answered, like kind of by his own hand. But it was like, it wasn't me writing that. It was kind of passing through me kind of thing. And of course, it addresses the topic of, whoa, well, people are just going to say this, that. And it's just like, well, you know, the Bible is supposedly a book that's inspired by God and people believe that. Why wouldn't people believe this? But then a lot of what, you know, he also talks about is like, you don't have to believe that these words were actually coming from quote unquote God, as long as, you know, the answers you get from them kind of make sense. And you're kind of like, Oh yeah. Like who, who cares where it's coming from, you know, and you know, the messenger isn't important, you know, it's the message. So whether it's just written by Neil Donald, Donald Walsh and he's a genius and a con man, or whether it's actually inspired by God, like when you read the questions he has and it's like, yeah, I've had those questions too. When you get an answer and you're like, Holy shit, that's brilliant. Like, okay, you know, you're, you kind of run with it. Um, so at that level, it was really nice because, uh, oh, and the Celestine prophecy is about this. Um, that one's really interesting the way it's told. It's actually like a, a novel. It's like a story, but within the story, there's this idea of, um, you know, kind of these, these nine insights of sort of this, you know, kind of evolved spiritual world and kind of what the world is heading towards. And they kind of discuss them, throughout the book as the main characters kind of going through all these adventures and stuff like that. And part of the idea is, you know, they have the idea of energy kind of, it's almost like, you know, it's very star Wars, you know, the force, there's this energy around us. And if you kind of pay attention to it, you can kind of feel the energy and connect with it. And, you know, and it has to do with kind of how we connect with people. Uh, there's one scene in that book where they're um, what is it? They're chasing someone in a car and they, they, 
like they're kind of like the good guys and they need something from that person, but that person thinks they're like attacking them. So the person's running away and it's like, you know, their kind of instinct is to be aggressive. Like, no, we've got to catch them. And it's like, wait, no, slow down, you know, reach out to this person, you know, so basically like send good vibes, you know, tell them like they don't have to be scared and that the person ends up slowing down and then they have the conversation. So, you know, kind of the idea that, you know, you, you know, people can, you know, supposedly, you know, kind of feel the energy you're putting out and that's kind of how they react to you. And, and I mean, you know, I think we see this all the time, you know, when you're out in public, you know, there are people who just creep you out, you know, they're standing there and you just get, you know, people say it all the time. That person's giving me a bad vibe. You know, there's nothing about them that should make you feel a certain way, but there's just something that makes you feel like icky about them, you know, and, um, you know, or, or the other way around, you know, you talk to someone and it's like, Oh, like some, for some reason I've really comfortable talking to this person like i've known in my whole life even though i just met them you know like you know and some of that has to do with just you know their body language which is more tangible some of it has to do with you know yeah the way they actually speak or the way they look or whatever but some of it supposedly according to this is you know kind of the energy they're putting off you know are they are they an energy vampire where they're kind of sucking the energy from you and you feel tired when you talk to them or are they kind of giving you energy, which makes you feel energized. And then by you feeling energized, you're kind of giving energy back to them. And it becomes this kind of, you know, this, this kind of cycle, this flow where, you know, kind of like when we used to talk in the ID office, you know, it was very much like that, you know, we would, we would be inspiring each other and it would just kind of feed into each other. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, at least I would leave feeling like refreshed and energized, you know, whereas some people, you know, Dude, you talk I wrote to so many things like after we had <laughs> talked, it was always just like, well, f- uh, I gotta get yeah. it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like my brain's on fire now. Like, yeah. Like, um, so, so yeah. So, so that was kind of what that book was about. And again, like, you know, they kind of went on to, you know, talk about more stuff. So, so that was kind of my first inkling into something that like, Hey, maybe I don't need like another version of, Catholicism or Christianity or even another, you know, religion. I think at one point I looked into Buddhism a little bit and, you know, some of, some of it's really interesting. I, I read, um, what's the, um, the Tao Te Ching. I read that at one point. It's like, you know, it's all these kind of like little sayings and it's like, yeah, like a lot of them make a lot of sense. They hit on these important points and you're like, yeah. So I, so I kind of, you know, dove into a lot of reading, um, from, you know, either different religions or just, you know, kind of, uh, things that could be considered spiritual, but had no denomination, which I, I tended to like those best because it was more just like, here's some good advice or here's some good stories or here's some good perspectives as opposed to like, you know, when I would read something from another religion, it would always kind of revert back to, well, these are our rules as opposed to just like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers to life, to the questions of life, not for you to give me more rules to follow, you know, like, and, and it just felt, uh, you know, so many of the, the religions just felt like cumbersome in that sense, as opposed to like freeing and opening and helping me understand the world. Um, and then inevitably, as I started kind of going through this, I kind of did the, the whole, uh, white boy thing of like, like, Hey, I figured all this stuff out. I'm super smart. Let me tell everybody all this stuff I know that nobody else knows because they're not as smart as me. And, you know, and, and I basically was kind of like evangelizing all this mm-hmm. stuff, like, um, I would be like at parties with my friends and I'd be like, Oh yeah. And this is not. And I, I think sometimes like people kind of just like, were like, Oh, that's just Tim being Tim, you know? And I was, you know, I, I don't think I was ever like a dick about it. I don't think I was, but then there were a few points, a few times where, um, and actually this was, well, 
during college was when I also saw the matrix. So that kind of fed into this whole thing. So, um, so at one point I remember that, uh, a friend of mine, I think he had, he either got a ticket or I think he got his car towed because of where he was parked. And he like came into the fine arts center and he was like fuming. And I remember saying to him like, Oh, like, well, you know, it doesn't matter because we all live in the matrix and none of this is real anyway. And he was just like, and I, he mentioned this like years later. And like, I kind of realized like how shitty of a thing it was for me to say that, you know, and this is kind of where I, you know, learned kind of from my own shittiness about, you know, toxic positivity. Like before that right. was even a catchphrase, you know, right. like, like that's not comforting to him. Like me kind of thinking that, you know, Oh, I've figured out that the world isn't real. So you don't have to worry about your problems. Like that, that's not the answer. That's not helpful. Um, so, so back then there were, there were cracks, you know, like, but, um, you know, and, and, and I think those, those cracks were maybe there so that I could see them in other people once I kind of got into a, the, the later aspect of it. So, so yeah, so, so college we had, yeah, conversation with God, we had Celestine prophecy, we had the matrix. We also had fight club, which is an, an interesting contrast to the matrix because it's sort of the opposite. It's more just kind of like the, you know, being fully in, in your body as a human with kind of no, uh, spiritual hope at all. Um, and I think, um, you know, and, and what's interesting is it is one of the things that, that is discussed in conversations with God is that like the point of being a person on earth as a human is not to be living for the afterlife. It's to be a human you know, and, and so many people think that they're more spiritual because they're connected with the the spirit side of things. Whereas if you're doing that, you're ignoring the fact that you're a human right now. And your point of right now is to be a human. So that's kind of, I think part of where fight club came in. It was a little bit of that grounding where it's like, like, okay, so I want to be aware of maybe this force around me, but if I'm kind of busy doing that, I'm kind of losing touch with what I'm supposed to be doing while I'm here as a person, as a human, you know, again, back to the mindfulness thing, you know, so, so kind of fight club also helped keep me in my body a little bit. And this was also the time <laughs> where I, I was so into fight club that I would try to get my friends to like punch me. And, you know, and I was just like, Oh, let's, you know, and, and there were, there were times where we were at, I was at parties and some of this might've been like right after college too. Um, where, um, oh, that was another thing. The same friend that I told him that, uh, you know, that it didn't matter that his car was towed because nothing was real. It might've actually been in the same conversation. He was so angry. I was like, do you want to punch me? And he like, he almost did. Like I saw him kind of like almost pull his fist back, but kind of like, no, no, like back up because I'm so close because I'm so pissed and you said a shitty thing and now you're offering to let me hit you. But, but that was, you know, that was sort of my thing is like, you know, uh, I guess the idea of, of, of pain, but also being in my body and sort of experiencing the pain, but, but having a, um, a non-judgment about it, you know, like, you know, if someone punches you in the arm, it hurts, but what damage does it really do? You know? Um, and there were times where I was at parties where <laughs> I remember coming home with like a, just a, my arm covered in bruises. Cause I was just like, yeah, everyone can punch me. Go ahead. Um, and then I think at one party, uh, I was having people like punch me in the stomach, you know, one party I was letting, <laughs> I was letting my friends like slap me, but my best friend is super tall and has long ass arms. And he like wound up like full length, like <laughs> boom, right across the face. So it wasn't just like, Oh, a slap on the cheek. This was like, you know, 
full arm, like, you know, it, it felt like a punch because of the momentum that was behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was sort of like, you know, uh, you know, yeah, like, I, I, I guess me kind of wanting to stay in touch with my body while also, you know, trying to remove this, this idea of, of duality of like good and bad, like, oh, pain is bad. We're supposed to avoid pain. You know, and that was one of the things with Fight Club is like, well, I think more, one of the things I took from Fight Club is that I think it's not so much the pain that's bad. Number one, it's the idea of like, well, what's behind the pain? Is it, is it anger? Is it power? You know, is someone trying to have power over you? Is someone trying to make you afraid by threatening you with pain? Mm-hmm. So, but the pain itself is just the sensation and it comes and it goes, you know? Um, another thing I also realized that part of it, the fear I think is also disfigurement, you know, like mm-hmm. when he goes to town on, on angel face and like knocks out most of his teeth, like, okay, that's a different level. Like I don't want to lose my teeth, you know? Um, but, but sort of, you know, the idea of getting knocked around a little bit, having some bruises, maybe a bloody nose. It's like, what's that really going to do? You know, maybe getting a concussion that hadn't occurred to me <laughs> probably you should did, avoid that. And you don't yeah. remember. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think there, there wasn't a lot of like punching to the face. It was either like the arms or like the stomach, or like I said, it was like open handed across the face. So you're not like, Oh, someone so broke my jaw, you know, that type of thing. Um, but, but that was the thing. And that's why I was kind of approaching my friends about it because it's like, it's not about anger. It's not like I want to get into a fight with a stranger and sort of force someone into that or someone who could potentially be like, Oh, I'm going to kick this guy's ass and steal all his shit or whatever, you know, like, um, you know, it's the idea of like, you know, people you trust who it's like, yeah, we can kind of play around with this. And, and, you know, and if you hit me and it hurts, I'm not going to get angry at you because I'm asking you to do it, you know? Um, Interesting. Like it's almost like a, a sadomasochistic type thing, but I don't, you, you were doing it for enlightenment rather than <laughs> sexual gratification. Right. Yeah. It wasn't sexual. I don't know that I'd say enlightenment. I I, I think more the opposite. I mean, I guess maybe that's the, it's I think that's also the, the, but like, but yeah. also like there's a consent to that violence that that's right. also an important part of it is like, yeah. it, it is this thing that you were doing with people that, you trusted and there was right. a consensual. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and luckily by that point, I lo- I had learned not to just go up to people and punch them and be like, no, it's fine. We're just our bodies and everything's fine. You know, it's like, I right. wasn't, I wasn't going after people and hurting other people, but open with your words. Up. When somebody was, yeah, that was shitty and hurtful. <laughs> interesting that the, the, <laughs> you drew a line where I'm not going to force this physical experiment on other people, but this cosmic psychological experiment I'm, I'm trying to share with you. It's interesting. The, the, the things that you can be evangelical about and where you draw the line in terms of. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I was, I was a, a, you know, a shitty white boy in my late teens, early twenties. So, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to try to justify I mean, I'm going to acknowledge that it was shitty, but I, I, you know, uh, I'm not going to justify th- thinking that way. I mean, I know where I was at at that point and why I was thinking those things. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad that all my friends stuck with me through all the, the shitty parts of my life, you know, cause it's like, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of that. So, uh, so yeah. So, so after college, um, I was introduced to, uh, so this is when I worked at Blockbuster and, uh, this is when I was introduced to uh, Daniel Quinn's books and his first famous book was Ishmael, but I actually started with my Ishmael because the, the girl I was seeing at the time, that was the book that she had. So I read that one first. 
and then kind of went back and like, oh, okay, Ishmael comes first, and then it's story of B, then my Ishmael. So that was another trilogy of books that kind of, you know, kind of reshaped the way I looked at the world. Um, and what was cool about Daniel Quinn's stuff is it, t- it tended to be less on the spiritual side, more on like sort of nature and the world and, and equilibrium. And, and this was a big thing too, that clicked with me is he not directly, but a lot of what he says kind of lines up with agent Smith's um, speech in the matrix about humans being a virus Mm. that, you know, mammals develop an equilibrium with their surroundings. Humans do not, they kind of use up all the resources then move on. And that's a lot of what Daniel Quinn talks about is that, you know, humans, yeah, they don't develop an equilibrium with their surroundings the way animals do. Um, and a big part of that started with with agriculture. And, right. you know, the idea of like, we have to make more food to store food, but the more food you have, the more humans you end up having to eat that food, which means you need more food. And it's just this never ending cycle. Um, and he talks about like, if you have uh, in a pet store, if you have um, a, a cage with 10 mice in it, and every day you put in enough food for 10 mice, you'll always have an average of 10 mice. But if you start adding enough food for 20 mice, eventually you'll have 20 mice, you know, because you know, they'll, they'll reproduce enough to, to sort of live off of that amount of food. Mm-hmm. They're not going to store it and save it and be like, cool, we have enough food for, you know, if our, if the owner of the pet store dies, we can keep living. Like they will produce enough, um, uh, uh, you know, enough other mice to live off of the amount of food they have. And then if you go back to giving them only enough food for 10 mice, eventually it will narrow back down to 10 mice. Whereas with humans, yeah, like, you know, again, like, you know, well, so first of all, if you, if you have more food, it just produces a bigger population, which then needs more food because, you know, humans aren't used to just living with the food that's in front of us. So anyway, but he also tied all this back to what part of what I loved about it, tied it back to um, Cain and Abel where the idea of, you know, kind of using Cain and Abel as a metaphor for, you know, uh, Abel was like a hunter-gatherer. He lived off the land. He lived off of what was in the area he was living in, whereas Cain was was a farmer. So the fact that, like, you know, the idea of Cain killing Abel was the idea of agriculture kind of killing off this sense of humans living as, as you know, uh, hunter-gatherers and just living off what the world kind of provides for them and being like, no, we need to produce more just in case for the future. Um, and that was sort of kind of tied into that whole creation myth. And his other big thing is that the w- reason why humans live the way they do is because their creation myth tells them that the entire universe was created just for us. Right. You know, we are, we are the, we are the period of the story of creation. You know, and everything is here for us to do with as we please, because that's why God made it. And I was just like, wow, yeah, that's, that's fucking bullshit. Like, you know, and that's why people, you know, treat animals the way they do, because it's like, well, God put animals here for me to do with as I please, you know, and, um, and, and the planet in general, why we like, you know, like, oh, let's fucking put an oil drill in the fucking ocean and dump a bunch of oil into the ocean because we need oil to make our cars go. Like, that's why God put the oil there you know, you know, the magic oil in the earth from, not from dinosaurs, God put it there for us to use in our cars. Cause we got to get to work, you know, like, so, this so first kinda... instance of main character syndrome, right? Like we're, we're God's special guy. Right. Yeah. He yeah. chose us. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of the, the, the thesis of the Bible is these are God's favorites. These are God's favorites. Right. Um, I'm just going to use this to, to, go to my spiritual wander lusty origin story real quick. Yeah. Um, so I was 
raised Baptist because my parents were. My dad moved around a lot because he was in the Marine Corps. His family moves around a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So when we lived in California, we went to a specific Baptist church. Then when we moved to Colorado, um, there they had a sister church there. So this was when I was like eight, and we went maybe until I was out of middle school to this church. And it was like one of the pa- the the main pastor that everybody really liked ended up becoming a chaplain and going to Iraq mm. during the second Damn. desert storm. So that was like, and they had like a really strong youth program. I was in all of these plays and stuff. I played Adam at one point is, is nuts. So we, we did, and it was like a lot of church. So you did Sunday, but then you did like Wednesdays were Awana, which was like, boy scouts for fucking christians um we did a lot of stuff at church for a long time and then at a certain point the youth ministry broke away from the church and the church became very old and boring and no long like there was no balance anymore Mm. so we were like didn't belong there anymore and so, and it was always like pulling teeth going to church. Like I hated it. It didn't make any sense. I was bored. I didn't want to go to Sunday school because everybody was younger than me. I didn't want to like, I would find excuses to like go to the bathroom or like hang out by the water fountain for the sermon. Cause it was just like, I'm, this is, this is not pump, like scratching this itch. And then so after the, we kind of felt like we didn't belong at the church anymore, we were like trying new churches out mm. for like a year. And it was just like this weird, fu- like in the, the movie of my life, back to fucking like main character syndrome, like it would be this, this uh, uh, 80s style montage of like a weird pastor, a weird communion plate, same boring ideas don't feel like you belong it's like being the new kid but in god's house which was fucking weird mm. is all that like very weird um and i i don't know i kind of like developed this like my crippling fear of death and of no afterlife or not continuing and god didn't really help Mm. like christianity and baptism like it was very fear-based like it all was like just don't do this don't you don't want to go to hell you don't want to and it they always seem to be talking about shit that didn't make what the big question is what happens when we die what is that like even if i'm good like i'm gonna fucking play a i don't know how to play the harp do i need to learn how to play the harp are they gonna need me to know how to play the harp when i get there like, and am I just going to suddenly decide, oh, hey, this is how I want to spend my life is singing these really poorly written songs in, in heaven forever? Like, none of that was ever, like, scratched. Like, there was, and so I think a lot of my, like, starting to question religion, because it was hard with, like, a book. Because for me, like, books were everything. I read everything, and, like, it was very important to me. Like, in school, you read books, and they gave you knowledge and they they told you that the bible was accurate so that was meant to be knowledge but then i was reading really well written stories that were f- fiction and they were better written than the bible so it was like where why is god such a why is his ghostwriters terrible 
So, and then I started listening to like comedy and I think this is like kind of wrapped up into my like value for comedy and like kind of holding it up. It's like comedians were asking the hard questions of the Bible and of God and nobody really could refute them. And they were real. they like jokes are like common sense or like bring you to, they have a premise, they have an argument and they land the joke because they can relate to you and they bring you the the knowledge pie at the end of it. So it, it just like, for me, it's been a lot of like, and, and as a kid, it's like, why in the Bible does it say that God talks to specific people, but he doesn't talk to me. Hmm. That made no sense to me. It's like, how do we verify where, where's the proof? Can somebody show me like, why believe this person when, so in it, and through kind of the cavalcade of going to these different churches, I ended up because I was dating a girl who was Mormon and I went with her to a service once. It was fucking weird. It's the <laughs> weirdest fucking. And then it's like, it's very segregated in terms like there, there's like, it's almost like homeroom to start. And it's like, here's okay. the announcements of the church and the temple. Blah, 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 blah. And then they divided and all the women went in one room and the men went in another I'm like, where does God have different messages for us? Like what the, I, yeah. So it was just like, that was kind of the, the, the only like, cause I, we were, we were Baptists. We went to like a seventh day Adventist. We went to like church of the Nazarene, all of these just like different grains of the same white bread mm. Christianity. So the the most exotic thing like I tried was fucking it tried. I went with <laughs> with her to a Mormon service. This is like what is this fucking is just as uncomfortable and more weird. So that sorry, just kind of engendering like my kind of like feeling lost and not really and for a long time it's just like the guilt was like you gave me a dick and it gets hard and I want to jerk off. And why do I feel instantly guilty about that afterwards? Like what, why is there this construct all about like, don't fucking touch your dick. Right. Like, and that, that was so like, it's like, it's, it's a sin. There's like no conversation and it's hard to talk like sex education with anybody when the religion that you're touting says, don't have sex until you're married. Because for some reason that's important. This fucking financial transaction that you're making, like that, that, that was the thing. Like a lot of reinforcement of people I respected their intellect because they were funny and they made jokes and they were comedians. Like Carlin talking about religion is is the best. It's mm -hmm. fucking incredible because he's very very smart, very very succinct. He's trying for the laugh, but he's also like making points. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where, like, going into college and then never going to church again really i mean funerals and weddings that's about that the greatest hits right um so sorry that that got me to college and kind of questioning so continue sorry from where okay. no 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 I, yeah i mean it is supposed to be a discussion and sometimes i forget that <laughs> <laughs> well it's also your topic and sometimes i forget that so <laughs> no well yeah i mean it, it doesn't mean that i own the floor you know um mm. but uh so yeah you, how, you, it was like every Sunday for like when Catholic, I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until, until college. I think like when I made my confirmation, like that's also supposed to be like, Oh, you're, you're an adult in the you eyes of the church. Decision. 
And, and it's supposed to be that like, now you choose to go to church because it's your choice, but it's like, no, <laughs> and like, and I mean, I may have still kept going cause I was in high school. So I don't, you know, and still living under my parents' roof. So I probably still mm-hmm. had, plus I was, I tended to be a good boy. I didn't want to ruffle feathers all that much. So I probably, I probably still went to church maybe just so that my parents wouldn't be angry and have to make it a whole thing. Maybe also knowing like, all right, I'm going to go to college soon and then I can actually do what I want. If I don't want to go to church, you know, if I, I'm out drinking Saturday night and I'm hungover, I'm not going to go to church Sunday morning, you know, like, so yeah. So, so that was the thing. And, and it, it mostly stopped, I think once I got to college and, you know, and it's still here and there, like, um, you know, there's still, uh, I think I would still, you know, go to church with my parents on holidays and stuff like that, you know, cause you know how you lie to your parents, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> the <millennium. laughs> but, uh, yeah. And like, I think even, even recently there's one time, like, um, when I had gone back to Rhode Island, like after I was living in Colorado and I had gone back to Rhode Island, um, basically like my first two years when I moved here, because DU has like, you know, their huge winter break, I would basically go back to Rhode Island for the whole month of December. Mm. And, um, you know, like, so I'd still go to church with my mom. And like, I think one year she was like in the choir. So she was singing. So like me and my sisters went, you know, we kind of all went, even though like none of my sisters go to church anymore. I don't think. Um, but you know, it was again, like, Oh, it's Christmas, you know, we're doing it for mom. So she can, we can watch her sing in the choir, you know? And it's, and that's the thing too, is like for a while I was, you know, kind of very angry at the church and, I've kind of since made peace with it, but there, I now, now my issues are more with religion in general, because, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of religion, because, you know, I I shouldn't say regardless, but, you know, I wouldn't say all, but most religions tend to think that their religion is better than everyone else's, which I feel like just creates division and, you know, um, you know, us and them and all that stuff. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, so I have, I basically have a new anger for religion now, um, <laughs> that goes beyond sort of like my personal experience within Catholicism. Like I'm not angry at Catholicism anymore. I'm angry at any religion because, you know, any religion is basically somehow or another making you be shitty to other people who aren't part of your religion. Mm-hmm. Um, with possibly some exceptions, like I've heard Buddhism is a very peaceful religion that they're not as much, but, but I could be wrong. I'm not an expert on religions. Um, but most religions I've seen do have their, their sense of like, you know, but almost every holy book has some laws about you're supposed to do shitty things, you know? So it's like, okay, if, if all of this was gone, maybe things would be better, you know, not one religion versus the other, just like all of it is causing problems. Um, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, so, so that's sort of the thing is like, I can go to church with my family on holidays because I'm not like, I refuse to step foot in that building. It's like, no, we're going to go to church. It's Christmas, whatever, you know, I mean, that's kind of my whole thought on Christmas now is like, it just, it's its own thing. It's not, you know, for me, it's not about the religious underpinnings. It's just something that I did when I was a kid and I really still like it. So I celebrate it in my own way. Um, but anyway, so after college, so so, so part of what happened, so now, so college is done. I went through this whole period of living away from my family, kind of making my own choices, um, you know, going through this kind of, you know, spiritual awakening, so to speak. Um, and then leaving college, kind of having to leave that world behind, going to back to live with my parents, having to get a job to kind of, you know, pay bills, which, you know, spirituality helps with none of that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then also this was the time it was pretty much right around the time I was graduating was when I found out my dad had cancer. So it was like, you know, just kind of everything kind of crashing down at this point. Um, and 
part of so 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 part of that kind of triggered um you know a lot of a lot of anger and depression in me but then also um a lot of my family started kind of looking kind of beyond religion which was really interesting and i think this was probably the first time i heard of like reflexology and reiki and um i have an uh, an aunt who's actually married into my family she's my my um my mom's brother's wife you know she's she's uh into a lot of kind of, uh, um, for lack of a better term, energy work, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. like uh, it's hard to talk about this stuff. Cause you don't know what words to use. It's like all purposefully, I think it's vague. holistic, right? Holistic yeah. Healing. That's, that's a word that also gets thrown around. Yeah. It's like a lot of it means the same thing, but also different things. Um, sometimes you get into, it's kind of like the discussion of like parallelograms, rectangles and squares, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, well, some of them carry over, but right. some of them are specific, you know, and it's like, which one is specific about which parts? Um, but, uh, you know, she, she ended up kind of, I think, helping my mom out a lot, like, you know, getting Reiki for my dad, kind of trying holistic methods and, and energy work. I mean, and I think that's part of it too, is I think you can do holistic things that aren't necessarily spiritual. Like I right. think, you know, diet and stuff can be part of being holistic. You know, it's basically the idea of treating the whole person as opposed to, oh, you, you know, you have this, this sickness in your kidney, so we're going to remove your kidney and then you'll be fine. Well, they removed his kidney and he wasn't fine. The cancer grew in the other kidney. So, you know, the, the approach of kind of treating him as a person and being like, okay, what kind of what brought this about? What can we try to fix? But then also parallel to that, also getting you okay with the idea that you're going to die, you know, like, so, um, so that kind of launched into this sort of, uh, uh, yeah, a, a lot of different stuff. Like I said, it was a mix of anger. It was a mix of like, okay, my life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. You know, again, you leave college as this like early 20 something, like I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to go be a film composer and I'm, this is going to be great. Like, oh wait, no, your dad has cancer. So, okay, you're going to move back in with your parents and you're going to get a job at Blockbuster and you're going to, you know, like just kind of be kind of stuck in this limbo um, with, with all of this stuff happening that you have no control over. Um, because all this stuff that you were kind of reading about that you were kind of convincing yourself that like, Oh, life is what you make it. And you have control over this stuff. Like plenty of stuff happens. You have absolutely no control over. Um, so, so that was like a weird, a weird two years for me, um, to say the least. So, you know, there was the part of me that was kind of pursuing the, the, the spiritual thing because, okay, maybe there's hope in that. Maybe there's, there's something, there's some, whether it's either comfort or solution, like maybe my dad's going to get better. Maybe if he does gets Reiki enough times, or if he prays hard enough, or if he, um, you know, does past life regression therapy or, you know, and, and it's just like, I feel like all of this stuff was kind of up in the air. It was like, what is it, you know? And, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of issues that sort of came out with, with him and his family. So it's like, well, how much of that is kind of tied into this sickness and, um, you know, like, you know, thoughts about where does cancer actually come from? Is it a purely physical disease or if it, is it something spiritual or emotional that manifests itself physically, in which case treating the physical aspect of it won't do any good. You've got to get to the core of what caused the cancer. So like all, you know, which I, you know, that's, that's part of the holistic idea, but it's also, I think part of like, you know, uh, you know, psychology. And, and again, if you're talking about, you know, again, some people will pay, take it as far back as like past life trauma. Oh, this thing happened in your past life. And that's why you have cancer now. It's like, okay, well, let's try that, you know, like, um, so, so it was, it was really kind of interesting the way it, it did kind of like blow up my family's perspective on that things, like on those things. It wasn't just, okay, we're going to sit here and go to church and pray all the time. Like there were those other things that kind of made their way in these different perspectives. 
Um, and, uh, I think at one point we, like my mom had organized this whole thing at my grandmother's house where it was like my mom's whole family was there. My dad's family was there. And it was basically this big kind of like prayer healing circle. And, you know, there was, you know, um, it was just like a combination of a bunch of stuff, just basically trying to be like, you know, sending, you know, light and love and all this thing and all that, you know, like, what, like, what, what can we do to heal this? What can we do that medicine isn't doing that? Like the blood transfusions and the chemo and the, whatever else he was doing, like that, that isn't doing what, what, what haven't we thought of, you know, um, which realizing later, you know, kind of seeing in a way how, how damaging so much of that stuff is that you're, you're kind of feeling like, um, if I can figure out the thing, it, maybe it can heal him, you know? And I think it was, you know, me in some ways, like after the fact, because the stuff I started learning after this about, which I'll get into that, but like, you know, it's like, Oh, if I had known this earlier, could I have helped heal my dad? You know, I think with my mom, she felt that too. Like, you know, I remember her saying one time that she kind of felt like, uh, you know, she kept, you know, she almost felt like stupid, like expecting him to get better at some point, you know, and, and it was kind of interesting too. It also gave me insight to the whole, you know, five stages of grief, how the first one is denial. I think, you know, which me always seems silly. Like if someone's dead, how can you deny that you're dead? But I think denial starts in cases like this before the person has died. Like you've already started grieving and you're, you've got it in your head, like, Oh, this is just a temporary thing. It'll get better. It'll go away. And that's you having denial about where this is going and, and you know, the first step in that process. Um, so, so yeah, so it was about, I think almost exactly two years that my dad was sick. So after he died, um, you know, within all the, the, the grieving part of it was also kind of, I think, revisiting some of that kind of spiritual stuff. Like it was, it was still there, you know, and I didn't sort of totally cast it off as being like, well, this didn't work. So fuck it. You know, it was kind of like, you know, um, you know, part of me, I think was also thinking that like, well, you know, part of the issue with this stuff is, you know, it, it, it's about the person, you know, like my, my dad would have had to believe in it enough for it to actually do any work, you know, and that, that was kind of a big kind of realization that I had about the idea that like, um, you know, the, the, you know, it could be a big mind over matter thing. You know, it wasn't that we weren't all praying hard enough. It was that my dad didn't believe it enough. And that's why he couldn't, be cured by all of us and all the stuff we were trying and whatever else. I think he was more kind of like, all right, we'll see if this works, you know, um, which is, you know, kind of gave me a big insight into to, to him too. And sort of his, his relationship with religion throughout his life, looking back on it is just like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, and, and kind of how it correlates with, with my own beliefs. Um, so, so, so coming out of that, uh, I was, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next with my life. And I was also very interested in like world music, you know, getting into, you know, cause I'd been sort of classically trained, you know, orchestra, that type of stuff. And it's like, you know, European and American music. So I was like, well, what about, you know, other countries and other cultures and, and, and the, you know, the histories of other cultures, not just what's happening now in the world. Cause I feel like I've had that conversation. It's like, oh yeah, I'm really into K-pop and whatever. I'm like, no, no, I'm not talking about like, you know, you know, Korean music that's being made now. I'm talking about these cultures that are older than our cultures and who have had music traditions that have gone on for like hundreds, if not thousands of years, not just like, Oh yeah. You know, Western music started with Gregorian chant in the 1300s ish or whatever. And it stems from Catholicism. Like, okay, none of that. What, what else is out there? So I started getting into world music, you know, like African drumming, Indian music, you know, trying to piece together what I could on my own. Um, 
and I started getting into the instruments of a lot of those other cultures and, and, and finding books about how, um, there was one book that someone let me borrow it was called the magic of tone in the art of music. And the idea was basically like, you know, yeah, music is an art form when a composer is making decisions about these are the notes I want to use to do this thing. But the idea that, that tone, that specific notes and, and notes played on certain instruments have sort of like magical properties, you know, and that they were used like, you know, one example is like the didgeridoo, which, you know, it plays basically one note and it's this drone and, but, it, and it's this kind of ritualistic instrument, um, but, um, you know, back in its origins, it had sort of spiritual properties, you know, whether it's like, you know, being trance-like or, um, you know, being able to maybe cure diseases or whatever. So as I started learning about this, I was like, oh, like, this is interesting. In addition to, you know, these, you know, these other, um, these other cultures that have their own music, it, it's not entertainment for them. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's either, you know, spiritual and sacred or, or whatever. So kind of, I started digging into that aspect of things, um, and I ended up, you know, I found a few books. I forget what books I was getting into and, you know, some meditation CDs that also kind of dealt with some of that stuff. I think that's around the time where I learned about the, the uh, Hindu chakra system, mm-hmm. which was kind of really intriguing, kind of getting back into the, that spiritual end of things. Um, and I also went to, in, uh, in Massachusetts, there was a, uh, it was a sound healing conference and, I was just starting to get into the idea of like, oh, sound and music can have healing properties. So I'm like, yeah. And, you know, and a lot of the instruments that are used are are not Western traditional instruments, you know? So I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And that kind of blew my mind open as far as like, oh no, this isn't a bunch of musicians who are looking, you know, or composers who want to find new cool instruments that sound different. This is a whole group of people, you know, it was, it was more closely related to like Reiki practitioners than it was to musicians and composers, you know? Mm. And I mean, music was a component and there ended up being like a concert at the end of that weekend. And it was amazing, but like, it was more about like, Oh, in your practice, what do you use this? Oh, well, I use this crystal bowl and this releases trauma. And, you know, as I'm doing this and I'm doing table work on it. So it's just kind of like, there were all these people who, it was, it was this, this thing that they were doing, you know, not, you know, again, they're not musicians. They're, they're doing, um, you know, usually, you know, private sessions with someone where they would use sound kind of the way, you know, I don't know. I, and actually I should clarify too, for people who don't know what, what Reiki is. So, uh, it, it, me, I think that the, the two words made of two words, Ray and key, I think it's uh, Japanese in origin. Um, so the word Ray, I believe means universal and key means life force energy. So it's similar to like, when you talk about Tai Chi, Chi is, I think the Chinese word for life force energy. Key is the Japanese word for life force energy. Um, Tai Chi is, it comes from China, I believe. Um, I think, yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's sort of this Japanese thing that started years ago where, you know, people would either put hands directly on people or over people and be able to sort of, uh, you know, in theory, harness the energy of the universe through them and then into the person and kind of heal parts of their body. And, um, uh, originally it was this thing that you had to like pay thousands of dollars to be able to do and go kind of find this teacher who could show you how to do it. And it's not just about showing you like they have to like open up your crown center to let the energy in. Otherwise, you, you know, you couldn't teach yourself how to do Reiki. Um, and then over the years it's become more, um, uh, more esoteric where, you know, it's like, it's all over the place now, you know, and, and you can also, um, you know, it's a lot cheaper now, I think, because people started deciding like, Hey, this shouldn't be, if this is helping people, why are we making people pay thousands of dollars to be able to, be able to help people? So, um, it's a lot cheaper. Um, 
and so, so again, this was something I became aware of when my, my dad was sick. And then, so I kind of knew what that was, but I didn't know that people were basically using sound instead of just kind of the placing of the hands kind of thing, which by the way, a lot of Reiki practitioners will claim that that's what Jesus was doing whenever he heals someone that Jesus was doing Reiki. Yeah. The um, laying on of hands is a pretty big, right. like Christian thought experiment. Like a lot of yeah. And it's weird too, because I've, I've definitely heard of some people who are Christian who will be like, oh yeah, I can put my hands on people and heal people. But then at the same time, they'll be like, oh, Reiki, that's like voodoo witchcraft. And it's just like, <laughs> is it the word you have a problem with? Like what, what, you know, um, again, us and them, you know? Um, so, so I kind of really got interested in this because it's like, I had just recently learned about what Reiki was, that it was this like healing thing, but it's like, oh, I don't know how to do that, but I know how to make sounds. Like, how can I use these, these drums and these crystal bowls and all these interesting things to, to, to heal people, you know? Um, so, so I kind of got into that aspect of it and being kind of intrigued by the, 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 the healing idea of it, not just, oh, I can write different music. Um, so I think this is sort of the point where <laughs> things got dangerous for me because rather than kind of reading books kind of on my own and kind of dealing with my own thoughts about things, I, I saw this world where there were a ton of people who knew about it and knew what they were doing and I knew nothing. And I was looking to learn from people. And, um, and I mean, at first not, not so dangerous because it was more gathering information from a big group of people, which mm -hmm. worked, I think a little bit better, um, or something like this, where it's a conference. I listened to a bunch of different people talk about a bunch of different things. Like there was one guy who he does stuff with tuning forks, you know, and he has a way of cutting tuning forks to precise frequencies. So you can get notes from these tuning forks that you can't get on a piano because, you know, pianos are certain sets of frequencies that fit our equal tempered sense of, you know, Western music. So with tuning forks, you can have machines cut them to anything and you can, you can, you know, do things where you have one pitch in one ear, one in the other, and it causes a binaural beat, which is, I think that's a big thing now, like having, um, you know, binaural meditation where you have one frequency in one ear, one in the other, and it basically changes your brainwave frequencies, um, which I think they can do that now, like electronically, they probably could do it back then, you know, but also this was sort of, you know, when this was introduced to me, it was back in like the early 2000s, um, you know, and you could do it with tuning forks and the tuning forks weren't that expensive, you know, so it's like, cool, like, you know, and you could, um, they had another set that you could like hold it against like your, your skull and it would make your head vibrate. So, mm -hmm. so a lot of this too, at this point, I was also very playful about the whole thing. Cause it was all about like sensation. It was all about, you know, music to me was just either, you know, an auditory or a mental experience. This was making music a physical experience for me, which was very new, like different ways of feeling music, you know, you, you talking about it is making me think of like the thing, like you get to the touch part of the museum, like mm. getting tactile contact. Yeah. And the idea of being playful with it. And it's also like so much of my experience with religion was not about wonder, mm. which is the whole, like if, if the question at the end is what, what happens after we die, the rest of it should be what wonder there is, what right. like, so, so trying to tap into that and I, I don't know, like that, that's what's signaling for me is that, that, that's something that's always been missing is this playful interaction. It's not about 
this is what we believe. These are the people we don't like. And this is how many things you have to do to get into the good place. Also, if you don't tell other people about this way to the good place, you're doing them a disservice. And you're also, it's a mark against you getting into the good place. It's not about wonder and it's not about excitement or, or joy other than like dancing, dancing badly to, to bad music. Like, you know, like what you're describing in this, like, the 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 playground of existence that's missing for me in a lot of stuff so sorry go ahead yeah well i mean yeah if you're looking for a playground um if you were looking to spend a ton of money i bought a bunch of different instruments that (laughs) were you know really really fun had really interesting sounds like uh so so well yeah so let's i'll talk about instruments for a while to kind of lighten it up so i bought one of the things i bought was um this this hand drum that's kind of like a a native american in style i mean it was new it wasn't like an authentic one um where it's like a a frame drum so it's got the uh, you know on uh, like it's got a, a tie on the other side and it's got like an animal skin head um but what was really cool is near where they were selling that they also had these super ball mallets. So it's basically like a cable that has two super balls on each end and you take it and, you know, I mean, you can hit the drum, but the other thing you can do with this mallet is if you rub the super ball on the head, the friction of the, the super, the rubber ball makes the drum just start humming. So it's not like this percussive sort of doom, doom, doom. You just get this, you know, it sounds like a whale song. Um, so, so, you know, again, for me, you know, here I am, this, this percussionist, this composer, and I'm introduced to all these new sounds. And it's like, well, yeah, I want to play with these sounds. And I ended up buying a drum. I bought one of those mallets. And I also bought, um, they had a, a, well, I had known about um, Tibetan singing bowls, which are usually metal. And you've probably seen them in the, yeah, you got the stick and you rub it around the edge. Um, but they also have crystal singing bowls, which are made out of quartz usually, but they also have some now that are made out of other stones that are more expensive. Um, but it's, it's the similar idea where you rub the stick around the edge, but it's, it's a very different sound because instead of this kind of like kind of smooth metal, you get this kind of almost like gritty kind of sound. And, um, you know, it, it's a little more, um, like with the Tibetan bowls, well, I guess it, de- it depends on the shape of the Tibetan bowl too. Some of them are more kind of pure sounds. Some of them you get lots of overtones and you're hearing this very complex sound. Um, so those are kind of helpful either if you're doing meditation. Um, some one I actually bought one huge bowl that's about like this big, probably as wide as my shoulders. And uh, what I would do a lot of times with that is like if people had bad backs, you would put that on their back and then you hit the side of the bowl and it just vibrates. And you can kind of feel the vibrations just like going into your body. There's one time I had a bad back. I actually went into a, a bathtub and put it like had it floating in the water and I would hit the side of it and it would like vibrate the water. Um, so, so yeah, so it was, it was this very cool, like physical element to, to music that I never really had before, you know, and you definitely get like lots of w- weird feelings in your head. Um, you know, like the crystal singing bowls, it's like, you know, it's very similar to like, you know, have crystal wine glasses and rub your finger on the edge, you know, that same sort of thing. We get these like high pitches. Um, and then of course, you know, the more you learn about it, you more you find there's like all this, uh, all this mythology behind it. Like, Oh, the crystal bowls, they come to us from the lost city of Atlantis. And it's like, all right, I don't, I don't know about all that, <laughs> you know, but you know, and you know, you also hear another story that they're made in Silicon Valley because it's made from the quartz that's left over from computer chips or something and or where they grow computer is really confusing i didn't know what they were talking about but that was one explanation i heard is that they'll grow 
like computer chips within a bowl and then the bowl is done. So they were throwing them out. So then people started taking them and being like, this sounds really cool. And then it became this whole thing. I don't know how much truth there is to that. Um, I just like the sound of them. Um, so I definitely throughout my life bought many Tibetan singing bowls, crystal singing bowls, you know, spent hundreds of hundreds of dollars on these things. Um, you know, different, different drums, different little, you know, tuning forks, like I said, um, you know, uh, sacred geometry is also a big thing with, with a lot of sound healing in terms of, you know, ratios and how that relates to shapes, but also to music because music is all math and ratios and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, so it was this, it was this huge like rabbit hole that I just fell down that for a while was, it was really cool. It was really, you know, like you see, yeah, like you said, it was a lot of play, a lot of discovery, very tactile, um, very expensive, unfortunately. <laughs> I was about to say like, interesting that even non-traditional religious ideas or philosophical explorations also involve huge amounts of capitalistic <laughs> interaction. Yeah. That seems to be the, the, the one true religion in certain senses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, commodification obviously i i i like stuff and i i collect Mm -hmm. stuff so it's not i'm not talking obviously it's a problem but like the just was interesting is like oh to do this stuff you gotta buy the stuff to do this stuff right And, (laughs) and to be fair um i was already a collector before that between comic books and then you know when i was in college like you know i was buying before i started buying all this stuff i was buying different drums like you know a set of congas and and djembes and bongos and like you know toy you know and i mean that was part of being a percussionist so i got to justify it in that way like this is my job to buy all this shit but then you know i never really use that stuff for gigs and it's funny now too so much of that is still in rhode island and it's at like other friends houses <laughs> it's wow. just like you want this here you can hold on to this here you have this you have this um and i think there was one year too i even gave away to my family like a bunch of my crystal bowls like to my mom and sisters like here this is merry christmas merry christmas you know these are for you um because they were just sitting in my mom's house in boxes um can can that be a policy with uh, fellow podcast hosts if you have one lying around? Sure. I mean, I have one. I have one here. Um, right now, it's the cat sleep on the box that it's in. I mean, ideally, we'd like to make it a part of the house because it is. It, it this one I think was like three hundred bucks. It's huge. Yeah. Um, I meant like a little one. <laughs> yeah. If I have a little one, I'll, I'll let you know. I don't think I have. Maybe back in Rhode Island. We'll see. But yeah, just looking for the gift shop version. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's definitely one of those things too. Like you know, it's like you know, I hope hope people aren't getting nervous that I'm giving away all my prized possessions. But it's more just like this isn't serving me anymore, and it's doing nobody any good. But if I give it to someone, maybe it can do them some good. Um, And that's the thing too is I feel like there were a lot of practitioners who were better at it than me. Where it's like this, this one bowl connects with my soul. So I'm going to buy this one. And this is the one bowl I'm going to use in my practice every time with every person. Whereas for me, it was like, well, I need a, I need a scale. I need, you know, I need at least eight different crystal bowls, even though they each cost, each cost at least a hundred dollars, maybe more, you know? So that was sort of my thing was like having this collection of many different versions of the same thing. Um, okay. So you were talking, you were at the conference, you were getting stuff. And then you were talking about the, the danger, the danger aspect. Right. So kind so, of babe in the woods, like falling yeah. down the rabbit hole of this really cool, new tactile, playful experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm almost wondering if there should be a part two, because the part I'm about to launch into is, is pretty huge. And there's a okay. lot 
and I want to do it justice. Okay, then well, let's let's. And I want to give pause. you a chance for questions. Yeah, let's. I mean, <laughs> well, I think the other thing it's we'll, we'll do to be continued. This will be yeah. a, a part one of an eventual x amount of part series yeah i mean i think two should should do it because like it's more i'm thinking of this has basically been um i don't want to say an intro because um you know uh it, it was all it was all part of that it was all important um but basically, I guess the the part that led to the end of my new age phase, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of what that entails. Also, I'm thinking in terms of time too, because like the so where I'm at now is maybe 2005, 2003, 2005. So you know, and and the early stuff kind of got crammed in. So so you know, college 1996 to 2005. That's about ten ish years. So. Um, yeah, the next the next section also is kind of where things where things get get good in a sense get get dramatic we'll say for lack of a better term. Um, so, so yeah, what what questions do you have? Because I know you've probably been curious about certain things. And well, it's also like you the way you would drop nuggets of stuff like it, it was just very <laughs> like anecdotal and very like situation specific. So, I was just like so so happy to be listening to the origin story. Like I, it, it was just making me think of kind of my own like spiritual journey and the idea that like, I, I haven't done as much experimentation or, or really, cause a lot of it was when I stopped worrying about religion, it took a huge part of my guilt and stress out of my life. Mm. And yeah. then it became about, well, like, what do I want to do? Obviously like, the the what do I want to do is very like small. I guess Jim Carrey would call it the small self, small mm. self thinking. Um, and that's the thing. Like all of the people that I admire have this like woohoo sensibility. I mean, yeah. well, and it's woohoo, but like most of them, I feel like have what, it's what works for them, right? And I, I feel and like I, I, I yeah. use woohoo as like. I don't think of it as derogatory or dismissive. I say it around other people who I think might consider it to be that. I, I definitely use it as like a defense. So I'm just I'm in the habit of doing it. So I apologize for using it with you. Obviously, you, yeah. you don't well, think that it's. I I also think part of it too is that like we yeah we don't really know what to call it because we have religion right. and then we have you know people who are atheists, right? And we don't really have a, a, a name for what's in the middle of that. You know, right. and, and that's sort of the problem I had a lot of the time is that like, if you talk about God, people assume you're religious and it's right. just like, no, not that God, like God meaning something. I don't know what God means, but right. I know, I don't mean something. And that's um, the, like the idea of being spiritual has a certain coding and people who right. are religious don't want to hear that. And people who aren't religious don't want to hear that either. So right. it's, yeah. yeah, it's definitely kind of a no man's land in terms of like, yeah. Well, also cults are in that territory too. Yeah, cults absolutely. are between religion, you know, so it's like, yeah. I'm not in a cult. I mean, you know, like I said, it was dangerously close maybe, <laughs> but, but that's not what my goal is, you know? So it's like we're, you know, and, and yeah, I feel like new age is in there, um, which is also, I, I feel like I don't, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that either. So it's like, what, what is it, you know? And um, yeah, so it, it is hard to talk about, you know, and it is hard to know what to call it and what, yeah. you know, that's the thing. Like I, I came up and I, I, in, in like everything's story and a lot of my like wanting to be a writer and like create story is a 
a kind of afterlife, right? Like as an early, like as a kid, I kind of had this sensibility that like, okay, if there's nothing after I die, if I write something and somebody publishes it, it, in some sense, I will be immortal. And that will have to be enough because I have no evidence of it. Like, but I know Charles Dickens is dead and I know I have his book right there. Mm-hmm. So like that, that kind of mentality, I think it's also like stems a lot from like, I've gone to innumerable funerals in my life. Mm-hmm. Like just for some reason, when I was born, everybody who was my parents, like aunts and uncles and relatives started dying. And then like, there's been a lot, my mom has had six kids in her family, two of which died one I, I was I was alive for both of them to die and then one got in a car wreck and is quadriplegic. Like there's always been a lot of like accidental tragedy and a lot of death in my family. So I think that's that's coded it for me is like the meaning of life is also the search for what is death and how to cope with it. Cause that it's crippling. I it feel like we're gonna have an episode of me talking about death. That'll be <laughs> once we get through all of your intimate shit, then we'll get to to mine, and it'll be a lot more depressing. Um, no, I mean, feel free to put yours. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't. I'm not that a uh, uh, you know particular, and, and you know, it's not like oh no, keep your you know keep keep your negativity away from my <laughs> namaste space. <laughs> well, and I think I think again, like not worrying about organized religion, other than the damage it can do to other people, like Mm -hmm. not worrying about participating in it has freed me up to be, I'm a lot happier Yeah, and I'm not knocking against the logic of injustice that I'm seeing and what a fucking book. That's a a compilation album of terrible fucking writers who like the, what is it? The council of my uh, Lycia or whatever decided these are the good ones and those are the bad ones. And I don't like, this is how we want Jesus to come across. Like it, it, it's this huge, it's the Instagram of <laughs> it's a bad mixtape, man. And yeah. that, that's, what's really frustrating is like people treat it like the word of God. Cause that's what they've been told for thousands of years. So when, when I don't have to worry about that, I can just process data and see this is hurting people. Why are we continuing to do that? Why is there any other, argument like and that that is a big part of it so like and i think that's i don't know like none of this has anything to do with anything but i just like as I was everything has everything to do with everything <laughs> well that's the thing i went through that kind of shitty phase too where it's like i'm reading philosophy and in college and i love philosophy because you can say anything and you can justify it. it. It's just like folding back on itself and it's disproving God and then proving God. And then God has to be that like the, the relationship between philosophy and God is amazing and hilarious and mm-hmm. all over the place. But it's also like you Could God created rock so big that he can't lift it. <laughs> <laughs> but then it also like what I loved about philosophy was the creativity of it and the thought experiment idea, the idea that if you can occupy different spaces and you can project meaning onto different things, it all works towards living harmoniously and and living better. And that, that was the whole, like, and then I got into a place where it's like, this is boring. We've said the same thing over and over again. 
and it, it's a lot of egos too because like you go into philosophy classrooms and it, it it's all instead of it being an exchange it's no i'm reading nietzsche right now you're reading right. aristotle and you're an idiot because nietzsche is talking shit about aristotle like it's it's a one right. big like rap beef in in essence it's like just just these long dead people just fighting over over thousands of years so that like i don't know like that that was continuing to spark it the imaginative process right like wanting creativity to be part of belief and wanting it to be not somebody just said let there be and the lights flipped on like mm-hmm. and also seeing how intrinsically like how many how much proof of the big bang do we need how many proofs of evolution and, and fucking dinosaurs do we need to disprove this poorly written book like and so like as you grow in knowledge you just, the, the myths have to be better right like right. for us to to fill in the blanks and the edges like those myths have to be compelling and flexible rather than absolute. And that's the other thing. Like, I don't think that all of the Bible is garbage. Most of it is, but there are certain tenets in it that like, if you live your life in those ways are a net positive. Like, so it's, 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 and like, yeah. So (sighs) all of that to say, I don't really have any questions at this point because I was just so, so happy to be hearing about it and i i hadn't heard about your dad i didn't know that story at all so this is like thank you for for sharing that with me all yeah, well, in the context of it like the, that was cliff's notes of tim yeah <laughs> and and that's that that that's what i was excited about is like i i'm going on kind of it's more of like an internal journey with my spiritualism is just like okay what am i keeping from things and like letting fall away and like where am i where are my values and what am i trying to put energy into and the whole yes thank you thing is a huge part of what like trying to live presently and think about okay this is shitty but it's better than nothing Mm -hmm. in that like in again very privileged position to be in like you 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 don't think about this shit when when you're hungry, when you're in pain, right. when people are oppressing you like that. It's a very privileged position to be able to to have these kinds of thought experiments and to say, okay, this situation is sucky right now. Can I zoom out? Can I experience it for what it is and say yes, thank you to it and then move on to the next thing without any judgment of it? That's owning the privilege of that is a big part of it too. Like that's mm-hmm that's what i'm trying to do so yeah like i'm i'm very very happy to have gotten to hear (laughs) the part one like the 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 prelude to the the juicy scary shit that's about to come and (laughs) i'm really looking forward to to talking about it more like that yeah that's where that's where i'm at sweet so I'll, i'll i'll leave i'll leave it to with sort of one of the and i know that this came to me at this point in my life at that point where I leave, where I'm leaving the story, because I remember saying it in the next part of my story, but it was sort of where I was at at this point, where sometimes I look back and I'm like, maybe I should have stopped there. Like, I think part of, you know, part of it is like continuing to kind of constantly be looking for something else. Like there's got to be more, it was almost like becoming a drug, but 
I remember one of the things that I really liked, I was reading, I think it was in a textbook, like a science textbook. And in the glossary, it had, you know, like a bunch of words that you're going to encounter. And maybe, or maybe it was when I was in college and I was taking astronomy. And one of the vocab words was the universe. And the, the, the definition for the universe was everything there is. And I, I like, I love the simplicity of that, that it wasn't like getting into, well, there are galaxies and there's space and there's star. It's like, no, everything there is like, there's not nothing that's not the universe. And I was like, fuck. And that to me, you know, and like, you know, this was also before, you know, uh, white girls doing yoga started, you know, asking the universe for everything, you know, where it was like, where I kind of saw that kind of parallel between the universe and God. And that was kind of like when I made that correlation myself. And that was sort of what, at that point, that's sort of what I believed God was. It's not a being that's separate. It's not an old man. It's not that it's, it's everything there is, you know, that's the, you know, God is the universe. And that was kind of where I was. And, where I was just like, yeah, like this, this feels right to me. This makes sense. This, this puts everything in perspective, you know, and simplifies everything yet complicates things, you know, and, and, you know, it's, uh, so, so that was definitely where I was at this point in terms of, a, I guess, a belief system. And that was sort of the, like kind of the, the core of my belief system, but it was also like, in a way, all that I needed, and then, but like I said, then I kept looking and that's what <laughs> fucked things up. <laughs> well, it's great. Like, and it, it's so much more simplistic to say rather than the thing thinking itself that is me oh, yeah. not me, right? Like, and yeah. that's, that's the, another kind of transit. I don't know if transcendental is the right verbiage, but another philosophy of what the universe is is the mm. thing thinking itself because it makes it a verb right it right makes it right. a verb and a noun at the same time yeah whereas everything there is and it's funny you said it and i did like i did what you did kind of where it's like that's that's great but what about what isn't and if i my brain went on like <laughs> if if this is everything there is because I, there's a binary in my head of like, well, right. what's the zero to this one? <laughs> and right. we're back to the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is that like, you know, at this point I hadn't started, you know, really being aware and thinking about multiverses, Never mind universe, one universe, but right. like, what about a multiverse, you know? And that, that also came later as part of all this, you know, and kind of like, you know, incorporating, um, which may or may not be considered pseudoscience. I don't know how to distinguish the two in a lot of cases when you get into, um, you know, quantum mechanics, because some of it just is like, am I not getting this or is this magic? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, well, quantum mechanics is very much still, it's very much still in theory. I, right. I think so. I, I, I think it is science, but it, it's science with again, no ability to do the field research. Right. right? Like yeah. we're getting to, to quarks level and we don't know what the fuck to do with them. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, okay. From, yeah. from God is everything there is right. to God Zilla, <laughs> which is everything <laughs> that could be destroyed. <laughs> is it too quaint to go on to this discussion of a fucking? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it is appropriate in that sense that it's just like you know, like bigger, bigger than life, and does it exist or doesn't ex exist? 
So it's on brand, at least uh, thematically. Yeah. <laughs> it's epic. Um, yeah, I just as when this comes out, the movie will have already been out. But I'm I'm very excited for the new Kong versus mm. Godzilla movie. Yeah, which is a a a matchup that hasn't happened since the third film in the Japanese series. So that's back. I mean, I, I pulled up the the franchise notes here. That's 1962. Oh wow! So it's it's been a minute since we've seen these two titans, kaiju, whatever you want to call them, on screen together. And like, I love Godzilla, and I always have, and I have a a very like weird angle on how I got into Godzilla, and kind of a weird nostalgia for a terrible entrance into into the kind of universe um i uh, everything that came out in 1998 was like right on my wavelength that's when batman forever came out <laughs> i was gonna say like and uh uh i guess stargate was a little bit earlier but i really liked stargate oh, and stargate's then it's great stargate's amazing I still haven't watched SG one. I've told it's really good, but the movie was incredible. And it's like, so cool. (laughs) Aliens and Egyptian mythology, like sign me up. I I was already in. And then Godzilla 98 with Matthew Broderick and uh, Jean Renault and Hank Azaria. I, I love like the, the uh, Chihuahua dog from Taco Bell. Here, lizard, lizard. That whole campaign size does matter. All the toys, all of the ads, like it all hit me right where I lived. Like at at that level, I was like eight. The things I was watching on TV, all of the ads, like it was all consuming. I was like, I gotta go see this. And then when we got to go see it, we I saw it with all of my cousins, which was a big deal. Like I I never got to like. My cousins all kind of lived in Colorado, but in different places, and we didn't hang out a whole lot. So it was a big deal for us all to get together and see a movie together. And I remember going into the theater, and they had this giant display, and it was Godzilla's foot, like, crashing down. And it was just, like, so cool, and we all got to see it, and was I was riveted the whole time. I recently realized that there's very little Godzilla screen time in that movie, which is my complaint about the 2016 one is there's very little Godzilla in that movie. Mm. Um, Arguably worse performances in 98 than this one. But like, (laughs) um, I, I just, I, I love that. And then for like Christmas, I got like the Godzilla toy where it has like the handle on the back and you press the buttons on the back and it makes him like, uh, whip his tail or open his mouth and do the scream. Mm-hmm. And so like I had that in on it. And then like growing up, I would watch like the old Hanna-Barbera did a Godzilla cartoon. Oh yeah. Cause it had Godzilla and then some humans and Godzuki. And that was really cool. And I remember one time I, I got like from a goodwill, I got a, like a thin paperback of godzilla and it was like godzilla versus Ghidorah, and it was really cool that was like my first introduction to like other monsters in the universe and then i think i saw godzilla 2000 which just has like a really generic kind of uh space manta ray as the the villain like an alien who comes and i didn't really 
process that there was this whole lineage of Japanese Godzilla, I didn't really understand it. And then I had a, a Japanese film course in college and I watched the original and not the, the American recut um, release, but like the original Japanese release. And it was fucking incredible and really cool and really iconic and not at all cheesy. Cause I feel like a lot of like the things I would watch that would reference Godzilla was kind of like cheesy and it was making fun of it. And it's like, obviously it's a dude in a suit, but like when you watch the first one, I, at least for me, I was really interested in how they, they built him up and it was this really kind of terrifying force. So that kind of started me along. Like, I, I think I own 27 of the 31 films. I haven't oh seen God, all of I them. Had no idea there were that many. There's, there's a lot. Um, and I, I just finding it like a, a second in Charles with those kind of like consignment, -y, like goodwill -y types places. And, um, just like I, I watched that one and it's like, oh, are the are the sequels gonna be any good? And then I watched Raids again, which is really good, and then King Kong Godzilla, which is fun and cheesy, and it, and they kind of get more and more for kids to a point, and then they go back like there's a gritty reboot. Like it's a great franchise to follow in terms of like the tropes of we have this property, it's internationally famous, it's it's unique to Japan, it's really a big deal. And like every so often we re reboot it and we put it like it's a team up. Here's Mothra, here's Ghidorah, here's baby God or Godzilla Jr. And then here's like space Godzilla and then Mecha Godzilla and it be and the aliens and the, the twins who uh, the little, little t twins that communicate telepathically with Mothra. Like it's this great world and Ultraman will show up and Rodan and like all these really cool franchises and offshoots that kind of, make up the kaiju universe um and it's i just really enjoy it um and again like there's a certain point where it's like okay these have gotten really geared towards kids and cheesy and then there's three more films and then they reboot hard and it's good again like so it, it's it's got a great great life cycle tim godzilla thoughts <laughs> so okay uh i think I think I was more kind of aware of Godzilla sort of through um actually I don't know what came first it was was it was it the 98 version is that what you yeah. does that the one okay I can't tell if it was that or Power Rangers because I remember like mm. watching Power Rangers and the idea that like oh yeah there are these giants but it's actually people in suits and they're you know crashing into buildings but they're you know mm. and so I was kind of aware of that and I think parallel to that that godzilla was a thing and it kind of worked the same way um gotcha. and uh so i yeah i don't think i've ever i had ever seen any of the original godzilla movies but i like i knew it existed and you know people you know kind of making reference to it um so then when i watched the yeah the 98 version yeah i remember it being kind of like i i, I was looking forward to it and i remember thinking like oh i didn't realize it was going to be this silly Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, I was expecting That's it to be of kind fish. of, <laughs> I was expecting it to be like, a, like a horror film kind right. of, you know, and, and I don't know if that was part of it. Yeah. Like they were trying to make it more for kids. Like, Oh, it's this big, scary monster trashing a town, but it's fun somehow, I guess, you know? And, um, yeah. Like, isn't there one time where someone steps at Hank Azaria where it steps down, he ends up like between the toes. Yep. So he goes like completely unscathed, you know, like a Buster Keaton kind of thing. Yep. Like, so, um, 
Yeah. And I, I remember kind of hearing about it where it's just like, oh yeah, you know, it's just the a movie of people running away from a tennis ball. And then like, yeah, adding the Godzilla in later, and you know, and um, I feel like it was interesting too, because it was around the time when like CG was kind of getting better and everyone right. was kind of resorting to that. But it's like kind of almost wondering like, oh, well, there's something to be said for a person in a suit that's actually physically there doing physical damage versus just like, okay, we'll use computers for everything, you know? Right. Um, so it wasn't enough to get me like interested. Um, and then I think probably the next one was when, you know, like the, yeah, the Brian Cranston one, was that? Yeah. 2016. 2016. With you know, when that jump. Yeah. Like when that came out, like I remember, well, and, well, I guess before that, and I know it's not Godzilla, but um, Cloverfield, like I really enjoyed that. Like I liked the idea of this big monster tearing through the city. Yeah. Um, part of what I liked about Cloverfield too, was that he wasn't as big as Godzilla, you know, like you see Godzilla and he's towering over skyscrapers, which is terrifying in its own way. But I, I love that with, uh, with the Cloverfield monster, he could like turn a corner and he would disappear. He'd be like, where the fuck is he? So even though it was this giant monster, there was also this bit of like, is he here? You know, is he underwater? You know? So, so he was big enough to be scary, but also small enough to be scary. And I really dug that. Um, so when, when Godzilla came out and like, yeah, watching the scene of that halo jump and seeing just how big he was, it was like, Oh fuck. Like, this is cool. Like, this is like, you know, the scale of this was really impressive. Um, uh, pun scales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and I think that was before we, we watched, um, uh, uh, Shin, uh, Shin Godzilla, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so I remember, you know, yeah, I remember back in the, the early days of, of movie mumble, you know, when, you know, Scott, I think he showed me the trailer. Maybe this is actually maybe even back when he was working at the bookstore. Mm. And I think he showed me a, a trailer on his phone or something. I was just like, fuck, like, yeah. Like, um, you know, I knew very little about the, yeah, the Godzilla lore. Um, and I think sometime around there, maybe when, you know, from our discussions where it was like, oh, and sometimes he's the bad guy. Sometimes he's the hero. Sometimes right. he's male. Sometimes she's female, you know? And it's like, you know, this kind of playing with this idea of like what Godzilla is, which I thought was, was really interesting, you know, cause like you, I always just thought of him as a villain. Cause if he's just trashing everything, but if it's the idea that like, oh, well, if there's another monster who's worse and Godzilla has to fight that monster. Um, so I really, I, I, a while back I had seen the Godzilla King of Monsters. Um, and I really, I really liked that. I, I, you know, I I liked the idea of, you know, seeing, seeing Godzilla, like it was almost, it was like an Avengers or justice league, but monsters, you know, like it was, it was really cool. And I also like how they, they kind of, I don't know if this is part of the, the original mythology, but they seem to kind of give the different, uh, kaiju like elemental associations you mm-hmm. know and and but then like oh like who's the three-headed dragon one called Ghidorah. Ghidorah was like oh like Ghidorah's not from earth like here are all these other monsters that have been here long before humans but then here's another one that's not from earth so okay that's the threat you know which I'll, then again it's like kind of like oh man is that kind of racist you know like we have all these other monsters that we're cool with but the one that's not from earth hey man you're not from here get out of here you're the bad yeah. guy you know there's um, also like which, he i think in that movie he's kind of a, a conqueror he's coming mm-hmm. he's been so he he's more of the colonizer in that right. sense okay I, that but, makes sense yeah, I mean, well, I think that's that's something in in the original films when Ghidorah shows up, he he's Astro Monster, it, it, so he's kind of this force that, um, 
kind of heralds the invasion of aliens to earth and that's where you get space godzilla and um mecha godzilla was a a um the kind of central exoskeleton of a a duplicate they made of godzilla to fight godzilla and then through the fight godzilla tears away the skin to reveal this kind of metal uh, oh okay uh, superstructure so but yeah that's for sure an interpretation of it too that like um they're repelling Ghidorah at the border like right um and I do love the line where um that one scientist is like kind of telling them like look we can't kill Godzilla Godzilla is the one who can like potentially save us this and that and they're like oh what like he'll be our he'll be our pet and it's like no we'll be his like I I love that line yeah. it's just like put put yourself in some fucking perspective like <laughs> You're no um, longer the apex predator, <laughs> right? Yeah, as has been demonstrated in the previous movie, motherfuckers. Like... Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so so I mean, I've I've kind of enjoyed them so far, and I mean, it's it's not it hasn't made me want to necessarily dig back and watch all the old stuff, but but at least to kind of enjoy what I have seen. Um, you know, I've also seen like other you know kaiju type stuff i've also seen the the two pacific rim movies right. um which were kind of interesting and I, I i do like and one of the things that i never really realized when i kind of just kind of heard about godzilla is like well yeah like why why is godzilla here what is like why just come in and trash a bunch of stuff so i, I like that i've kind of learned in each one there's always like a reason for you know i think uh, in Pacific Rim, this was the thing too. Like they were always going towards something. There was like a mountain or a volcano they were trying to get to. So this is why they're like tearing through shit. Um, and it was part of this bigger story, which I liked. Um, and you know, and yeah, the idea that like, you know, there are these, yeah, there's this kind of drama playing, uh, playing out with these, with these Titans on this planet that we're just kind of victim to like, you know, that, that part was kind of cool, which, which again, like, I feel like that was, you know, in mythologies of old, that's what the gods did was they were having their fights. They would just fuck everybody up on earth and, you know, Oh, that, well, that's cool. Cause they're gods. Whereas this, the, you know, well, these are monsters. We're not cool with that. Now we have nukes, so we're going to take care of that. Um, and it's something like, I, I love monster versus monster. Like, I think that's, mm-hmm. That's the fun of it, right? Like the smashing yeah. and crashing now. But I think like the original commentary, because I think it's Honda, Ishiro Honda did the first one. Yeah. Who's a big deal, like a really badass uh, Japanese director. This is like post-World War II, so post-Nagasaki uh, and um, Hiroshima. So Godzilla is the, the after effect of mm. nuclear radiation so in and that's kind of where the 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 controversy over the americanized version of the the early one because they kind of paced over the fact that america caused this oh, so okay. the the godzilla as this nuclear fallout literal fallout that J- japan is always going to have to deal with as a result of being bombed is a big part of the the kind of marrow of the character and something i really appreciated about shin godzilla kind of get, getting back to that idea that like they talk about like um they talk about godzilla in the same way you talk about post-war are we ever going to be in a post-war 
Japan? Are we ever right. going to be in a post Godzilla Japan? Mm-hmm. So that element is something that I, I think kind of gets lost. I mean, 98 did it so shamelessly that they, they pivoted it. So it, it was the French uh, government who bombed the, the, the Galapagos and that fucked up the iguana that ended up like, so they, they totally sloughed off the responsibility in that film. Yeah. And I don't know, there, there is like cert, a certain fallout in a, an American experiment. I think that's what kills Cranston, right? In 2016 is they're doing something with nuclear power, which wakes up Godzilla and the Muto. So it, it becomes this kind of continuing, but like, then you get in smashing and crashing and it doesn't, be, it's no longer kind of this commentary. It's more about watching them fight which i'm fine like i i let them fight is one of my favorite lines like to, <laughs> just like to get them and that's the thing like i'm not i'm I, i've been less and less concerned with the human element in these films because it's usually not as well done as as it could be um i'm super excited to see king kong fight godzilla i don't whatever commentary that might be making, I don't think it is going to make one. It's just like, here's a monkey with a giant <laughs> ax where he took a Godzilla, uh, a dorsal fin is going to fuck him up like Thor. Like I, I'm so, I'm so down for that, but it's kind of become something different than this kind of really important commentary and iconic kind of manifestation of a post fallout post nuclear Japan, which is, is, is really haunting and it really informs that first movie. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I never, I never kind of thought of that, that part of it. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, you think about things kind of being, being problematic and it's just like, well, on the surface, yeah, we take movies from other cultures all the time and redo them. It's just like, yeah, not when their reason for kind of coming up with a character and, and, and a scenario is, you know, based on this shitty thing that you did. And it's like, at least, at least acknowledge that somehow, you know, like. Yeah. With 90 to 80, especially like Godzilla, like Toho had very specific guidelines of like Godzilla can only eat fish. It can't eat people it has to look a certain way. It has mm-hmm. like all these things, which <laughs> I think it's uh, uh, um, not Moran. What's his name? The guy who did um, Independence Day. Oh, uh, fuck. The director? Or yeah. The... I'm looking it up because that's good podcast content. <laughs> <laughs> Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin. They essentially just said, fuck off. Like they, they, they took the meeting, they did the design and apparently like they met with Toho and showed them like kind of the first renderings and the Toho officials were kind of like in stunned silence and left the meeting. <laughs> and at that point, like it was too late to change anything. Like, so they, they were just like, well, roll with it. Cause that's what you're going to do. But that's, that's not Godzilla. And they got the final revenge. Cause I think on, they have they have similar naming conventions to DC with like crisis and all that stuff or like oh, destroy yeah. all monsters or monsters attack or whatever. There's one where Godzilla shows up and fights all of these like digital recreations of monsters over the years, and the one that they made for the '98 they call Zilla. <laughs> he shows up and uh, Godzilla tail whips him out of frame within like three seconds, like just totally <laughs> totally pulverizes yeah. him. You're not worth my time. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's great. Like 
and it, it becomes kind of funny and self-referential. It, 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 it's a, it's a really fun series. I, uh, I guess, you know, Godzilla adjacent, um, I did watch, um, Kong Skull Island recently, oh. um, which, and I don't want to break your heart, but I actually enjoyed that more than the Godzilla movies. You're right. It's incredible. Okay, good. All right. really I was like, good. oh no, how do I tell Joel that no, I no, like no, this no. better than a Godzilla? <laughs> well, and that's the thing that from what you've seen, like it has the advantage over, uh, 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 what is it? King of the monsters of being able to see every fucking frame. That's my biggest frustration with that is like, I think it's really cool, like, the storm system aspect of that film. Mm-hmm. But we can't fucking see it. It's like they're ashamed to show... Like, these used to be people in rubber suits. Just show us the fucking monster. Stop right. deriving these things so you have to sh- sh- put it in shadow. I Like, yeah. post-fucking uh, uh, Zack Snydering of everything, where everything's <laughs> just, like, dark-tinted and you have to squint to see it. Just fucking right. show me... Ghidorah's gold. He's got gold skin. You should be able to see it. Yeah. No, Kong's yeah, and I think we... is is like almost objectively better than anything America's done with Godzilla. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah, because like I think we talked about that too. Like with uh, King of the Monsters, it was just like I, I lost the sense of the the scale, right? Because it's like you had to zoom out so far to see them, and then you just saw two monsters. Like you kind of lost the sense for well, how big are these monsters? You know, right. how far away are they to look that size? And and I feel like yeah, like that was one of the things with with Kong is like you know you're always kind of right there, you know, and either he's like smashing a helicopter or you know it's like there's there's something for a, a size reference, but um, also just like I, I thought it was really. I think the fact of putting it on a separate island, kind of, yeah. you know, making it a little more claustrophobic instead of just like the world, which, I mean, you think, you know, the world is scarier. It's like, oh, it could be anywhere, you know, and just smash through an entire city where tons of people are living. But somehow I think maybe that's part of it too, is like, if you're, you know, same thing with something like uh, um man of steel, you know, if you're just plowing through skyscraper after skyscraper demolishing it you know it's like eventually you just lose track of like how many actual human lives are being lost right. and it just kind of becomes static you know well i think another thing that's really great about the pov right like because we see the island through the eyes of the humans and that's something that godzilla films have gotten wrong is like how to establish ground level and give yeah. it stakes without making it boring right like and and that's when you're you're on an excursion, like that's the great thing. Like as long as Peter Jackson's King Kong is, I fucking love that movie. It's long and it's deliberate, but like it's gorgeous and it's swelling. But you're following these POVs, hmm. and and it's all about un, unknown ter- terrain. This is this is King Kong's domain. And you're moving through it without knowing what's around the next corner. If it's, it's New York, of... we all know that's Central Park. That's the the fucking uh, um, Union Station. Like, there's landmarks, and like, but we're not discovering it yeah. in that way. It's, it's one of the reasons why Predator One is better than Predator Two. One of the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what's really good is Predators with Adrian Brody. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, where they, saw the, yeah, where they're on the Predator planet. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. So take us out of the city or, or take yeah. us to a city we don't know. Like that, yeah. that's, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. the thing. <laughs> it, it also, like when you're watching a movie like Godzilla and it's like you're following this group of characters of, you know, say 10 people. And yeah, and you're watching buildings get demolished. And it's like, okay, that's probably like hundreds to thousands of people that just died. Why do I care about these 10 people exactly. if there are thousands of people dying every step he takes? Right. Whereas with this, it's like, okay, these are the only people on the island. These are the only people I have to care about. And, and every one of them, you know, we're, we're, we're feeling every death individually, you know, and, and the, the peril that each person is experiencing, not, Oh yeah. See that building in the distance. That's full of people. Now they're all dead. It's like, okay, I don't know how to comprehend that, you know, like in, in the, in the, the, the realm of the, the movie, because, okay, now in the time that I'm trying to think of that he smashed another building. So that's double. Okay. Now that's triple, you know, it's like, um, yeah, I feel like you almost have to have like fewer deaths to really care about the, the people more, you know, and, that's got me thinking about like Shin Shin Godzilla is incredible. And I think it does the the POV pretty well. And I don't know if it's just word I'm not as familiar with what Japan looks like or so it, mm. it seems not as familiar as a city. But I think it's also they kind of pivoted until a instead of Godzilla versus man, it was Godzilla versus the Japanese government and bureaucracy Mm. and as boring as it sounds to have Japanese bureaucracy versus Godzilla, it gave you more of like an urgency and idea of like, what, what can we throw at it? How can we adapt? Cause that's the thing. If you're just one grunt soldier in 2016 and you, you can't solve it right? right. As one person. And it's, it's, you you are you keep going into a situation where you're at ground zero and you're getting fucked up but you're not actively doing anything that's gonna take them down whereas when we got kind of the bureaucracy it's like okay here are all the levels here's all the things that has to happen we've sent the military and it's the military fights and it doesn't work and then we sent the american military shows up and tries to be big dick swinging and they they fuck up and they don't get it so america fuck yeah (laughs) so i think it's really great that film really took a, a a different tact with it and i think that was really successful i don't know that we'll ever get an american version like that at least the way that they've been doing it's always like I think it's cool that they've kind of pivoted to more like we're going to have Mothra twins seems like, and we've got, um, uh, oh, um, stranger things. What's her name? Oh, uh, uh, Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. Who is incredible. I really like her. And I think she's a great, like, and I think they made the mistake with, with 2016. They were like, this is breaking bad versus Godzilla. And then they killed cranston in the first fucking five minutes of the movie it's like the 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 bad faith from that like Mm -hmm. but millie bobby brown versus godzilla with mothra as as an ally it's great like i can buy into that let's do that again and again so yeah i I think it'll be i'm i'm really interested to see i guess kong is on on the side of the humans ish and i guess we're gonna get a a mecha godzilla of some form so oh, kind of okay. teased in the pre. Sorry if that that spoils something for you, um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited. By by the time this goes out, it's already been. I might be 
reeling listening to the in the editing process saying it's garbage i didn't like it or it was amazing well like and that was one of the things too with like with with kong is also like he he had a personality yeah. Whereas with Godzilla, like you don't really get like is you know I mean you kind of get him angry because he's being hurt by the other monsters, but you don't get much as far as I remember anyway. There's no interaction with humans, and you know, so I feel like some of those some of those kaiju are just like too big, you know, um, which makes me wonder like from from the scale, and maybe I'm wrong, but like the scale for Kong, he, he doesn't look nearly as big as Godzilla is, you know, like, like he looks maybe, you know, like when, you know, when they're standing on that cliff and he kind of walks up and it's like, okay, yeah, he's big, but like, he looks maybe as tall as a building as opposed to taller, you know, two, three times the size of buildings, you know? Um, This has been kind of a much debated thing with, cause I mean, it was the seventies, right? That's when that caught and he was not, fully grown so th- there's that aspect to it oh okay um, but also the godzilla and king of the monsters is fucking huge like almost irresponsibly big <laughs> so <laughs> there's also because at the end of that spoilers um when they go to atlantis like nuclear atlantis or wherever and they set off that bomb it might have killed that godzilla and we might get a little one oh, so it would okay. be more able to play with godzilla or uh, king kong on the same level got it okay but i don't know that that's yeah they're they're big and i think from what we've seen like this godzilla seems a little smaller than in pre- and it might be just like he he molted right like he got big right. okay. he got and maybe there's scar tissue and he kind of got from the the nuclear blast and he kind of is leaner and meaner i don't know so and it's it's gonna be interesting to see because like i'm hoping they they subscribe to the they punch a bit and then their mates like (laughs) construction where it's like okay there's there's another threat that they have to team up and fuck up like it'd be funny if there's a mecha godzilla like that humans created but then that goes haywire and it's like oh no godzilla save us from the robot we made (laughs) yeah yeah that's definitely like People have pot like the, as that's the theory, like because mm. the villain from the previous one, the guy was from Game of Thrones. That guy, Tyrion Lannister, or not Tyrion, the the dad, Tywin, Tywin Lannister. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so they are able to. They took Ghidorah's head, one of the heads. Oh, that's right. It. And they're they were kind of like a, a a green activist group, like a we want the world to be decimated so we can start a more naturalistic kind of agrarian rebirth of the, the, the world. So it would totally make sense for him to be like, we're going to make a a bad one. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Let's kill all the humans. Yeah. Yeah. So, which sometimes when that's the plot too, I have a hard time knowing which side to be on. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe all the humans should die. (laughs) You know, like this poor planet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also like the, the kind of, the 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 status quo at the end of King of Monsters is like fucked. Like Ghidorah fucked some shit up. Like mm-hmm. so, they're they're really having to rebuild. And I think that's something that's cool about the Pacific Rim kaiju kind of world is they show you it right before, and then they show you like kind of it's kind of been defeated, and we're we're kind of in this post Jaeger 
and they have to get back into the swing of things. Like I, I like that kind of the world with Kaiju as a, as an inevitability rather than a, it's more like a natural disaster that they have to right. address, which is kind of cool. So. Yeah. It'd be kind of funny to get to the point where, cause I know like, you know, yeah, there was some sort of goal that they had and that would have sort of, I think meant the end of the world, which I, I think I remember, but yeah, it'd be funny. Like you said, as a natural disaster that like they just wake up, fuck a bunch of shit up and go back to sleep after a little while. And there's nothing we could do about it. We just have to like, let it happen and deal with it. Like you just have Godzilla drills at school, like mm-hmm. under the desk, stuck in cover. Yep. Right. Like, and that's the thing. Like if they, they do kind of like a, a, um, a team up where it's like, okay, the next big threat, Godzilla and, uh, 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 King Kong buddy cop it. Like that would mm-hmm. be sick. Like, yeah. That's the thing, like post credits in this one, we get like Space Godzilla or like Belante or like these weird fucking other otherworldly. That's the thing, like there's some really cool Titans that were in the last one that we just see for two frames. We don't get to see them do anything. Like there's yeah. a big mammoth dude, which is one of the coolest designs I've ever seen. It, it does nothing. We see it walk. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of potential for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 excited for it. Like I, you know, I'm I'm on board. I I think it only took me so long to watch Kong because it, I think I was just waiting for it to come to HBO. Because I think maybe it was for a while that it wasn't. I kind of yeah. missed it wherever it was streaming, and it was streaming nowhere for a while. And then, but yeah, it was it was definitely good. It was definitely like um, I I also liked too. Like what I wasn't expecting that they did have other bigger monsters on that island yeah. too. And and that was really neat. And I like how there was the whole like tribal mythology that was like yeah. about Godzilla and everything like that. Yeah. The whole thing was great. I almost, that's almost what I wish there would be more of with the Godzilla movies, like more about, and I feel like they do dig into this a little bit, but like, like their, their origins and kind of like, you know, what, what their deal was. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. The, the idea is scary enough that it's like, yeah, the, the world is big enough. The ocean is deep enough that there are things there that we didn't know were there. You know, like, I like that idea, but, um, you know, like how did, how did we not know? And what did, what did they do before? What was their life before they were wrecking human cities? You know, like what were they doing? You know, um, even something stupid, like, Oh, it's actually Godzilla who made the dinosaurs go extinct, not a comet, you know, like something like that. Or, yeah. you know, or, or is that the comet that sent Godzilla to go hide? Cause it's like, Oh, I can't survive. I'm going to go hibernate for, you know, and it's like, Oh shit, Godzilla's as old as the dinosaurs. Wow. That's fucked up. You know? Right. Um, and again, maybe they answer some of those questions, but you know, and I'd like to see like, I don't know, feudal Japan, right? Like samurai. Mm-hmm having to deal with Godzilla and yeah. kind of the myths that, that arrive, or like uh, if we're going to do American and it has to be white people like fucking ancient Greece or yeah. like the pyramids, right? Like Egyptians dealing with the, and it's like the, the kind of like uh, uh, animal f- headed like deities and stuff. Like 
ancient Egyptians were furries. It's just yeah. it's the thing. <laughs> what were you going to say? No, I, so I, I had a great idea, but I want to save it for our great ideas going nowhere. Well, that's a good enough actually, link for me. And right. now it's time for great ideas <laughs> oh. that go absolutely nowhere. <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll ask you first and then I'll tell you what my answer is. <laughs> So if you had to make a Godzilla movie, you know, we were talking before about how, you know, the irresponsibility of making an American version that doesn't deal with the origins of, you know, what, what sort of led to the creation of Godzilla and why they kind of created this monster that's kind of been you know plaguing them. So if you had to make a Godzilla movie, what would be sort of like your, I guess, what would it be a metaphor for? I guess it doesn't have to be a metaphor, but like, how would you, how would you do a story that's, that's a little more, um, I guess, culturally sensitive, maybe being the way to look at it, you know, that at least sort of lends itself to some sort of uh, cultural um, statement. So, I mean, use Godzilla to make that statement or create another monster as a, a the follow um, e- from either one, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, yeah, it doesn't have, I mean, you know, like if you were, if you were in charge of making, it, it could be either a Godzilla movie or a monster movie. And in your issue is that like, yeah, when we made an American monster movie, we totally ignored the fact that Godzilla was created as Japan's response to what America did to them. So for us to just be like, Hey, let's have fun with Godzilla. Like that's shitty. So what would you do to make it less shitty and make it? Um... Okay. Um, do you, uh, so this, I'm stealing this from a, a, a fucking, uh, it's a Dane cook bit. And it's not, it's not culturally sensitive at all, but his bit was like, what if, <laughs> what if aliens showed up and they were 10 foot tall native Americans? <laughs> <laughs> so like, basically that, that would be kind of like a Wendigo or like a, a, a native monster. And this is obviously appropriative and like, we would need to have certain permissions to be able to use and, and have certain guidelines of how to portray these kind of myths, but basically like fucking up American for the colonialist decimation and living Holocaust of the native indigenous people of, of the land. Like that's, that's a story that needs to happen. That's the kind of like, um, uh, revenge porn or like, uh, like a Django Unchained esque kind of right, like right. like someone to champion and something to like and to get into like this is this you and it would have to be tied into like you don't own this shit the people you took it from didn't own it either they respected it and they lived in 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 conjunction with it and they respected it and they they paid tribute to it and you fucked up royal. And it's cut, like this force is is now coming back and barreling at you and fucking you up. That that would be it. It's like it, not not to and that's the thing. Like there's a trope of like um, every horror movie having to do with be upsetting an Indian burial ground as kind of like this token storyline. But like this would. You, obviously you'd want to make it more respectful and more in line with the actual traditions and like yeah i mean and i think that that might be just like me culturally wanting like a revenge tale i don't know that that's mm. quite in line with the tradition of those myths so that would be some research to be done but like that my fuck yeah like <laughs> you're gonna get your comeuppance kind of monster would be something like that like a wendigo like a 
a, a big fucking <laughs> Native American monster. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, what about so, you? So, well, it, it's funny that we're thinking on the same track. And when you started talking, I got nervous. I was like, oh, he had my same ideas. My <laughs> idea is a little bit different. But like when you mentioned going back to like, you know, like ancient Japan, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, oh, shit, what if, we, you know, so it was a film where, you know, sort of an origins of God, Godzilla, where basically, you know, Godzilla comes to America while the native people are still here. And they're basically like friends with him, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe, and maybe he's even smaller at this point. So like he comes to the, to, you know, and he ends up being kind of like a, like a, like a totem for them. And, you know, like with everything, you know, they're kind of living in accordance and imbalance with nature. So Godzilla coming off the coast and kind of coming on land is just a thing that's been happening. And they've, they've kind of, made their peace with it and, and, you know, kind of befriended him and like maybe even pay tribute to him. And then him coming back being like, what the fuck is this? Where are all my people, you know, and just fucking tears through everything being like, (laughs) these are not the people on this land that I befriended with who I was protecting because, you know, they, you know, and, you know, yeah. So that there's this sense of like, you know, they didn't see him as a monster. They saw him the way kind of the way they see all animals, you know, we have something to learn from them. And, and that, again, there's an equilibrium and a balance and, you know, maybe, uh. maybe they're even like a family of Godzilla's and they would come, you know, and it's like, okay. And maybe they would leave a path clear. Like this is the path that Godzilla takes when he comes on land or his family comes on land. So we're not going to have any settlements there. We're just going to leave this open. And, and that would be like New York. So he comes up and it's like, what the fuck? I'm supposed to have this path. Where are all these nice people I've been kind of living with this whole time? They're gone, you know? So it's basically, so, you know, similar, still like a, you know, Native American revenge tale, but, you know. And then like he comes back and, and finds like a, a, a museum thing with like teepees or something like, like, or some like kitschy side uh, uh, thing is like, here's where uh, Native Americans lost this battle or like I'm, I'm imagining like deep south like insensitivity and he rolls up to a tb made of plastic and like touches it with its claws and it doesn't feel like animal skin and it's cold and he crumples it in his hand he's like yeah Fah! burns it all up it's great and then I'm, yeah yes and then he comes to like a reservation and maybe like all the young people are scared but all the elders are like oh he's come back <laughs> you know and they're like and then maybe he finds an elder and it's like Hey, I know you. And it's like, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, or maybe not know them in particular, but if they're part of like a lineage where they've kind of kept the idea alive that like, you know, and maybe even turned it into a religion, which, you know, maybe that would be getting it a little, you know, too simplifying it where it's just like, you know, but yeah, you know, like, you know, as, as, as you know, we've, you know, there's been this, this monster that used to come on and we were friends with it, you know, and now that we're pushed here, it's, you know, it's kind of our savior, you know, so I think that would be fun to see and fun to see, you know, there, there be a sense of like, yeah, like that, that acknowledgement, even if it's not the same person, like, oh, like, yeah. you know, seeing, seeing the, the authentic race of people. Yeah. Like you said, not the, not the TP that's like a tourist attraction, but like, oh, these you were the descendants of the people that I was friends with and I was protecting and I was, you know, and, you know, maybe, you know, have Godzilla feel some of the anger that like, why haven't I come back here to protect you? You know, if I was here, you wouldn't have been, you know, pushed all the way across and, you know, whatever else. And yeah. So yeah, I think that'd be fun. (laughs) I'm, (laughs) I want that to be a thing now. That's great. That, that would be, Every every Godzilla movie that's not that from now on, it's going to be a disappointment. 
And you could do a whole thing with like someone discovers cave paintings that shows like native people and this giant monster. And it's like, Oh, but they're cool with it. It's like, Oh, look, here's this monster. Wait, no, the monster isn't killing them. The monster is living with them and living, you know, in accordance with them and, and they're friends with it and it's protecting them, you know, and, you know, maybe showing something like, yeah, like show another of the, the, the kaiju that comes in and Godzilla defends them, you know, against it. And it's like, and then, oh, oh, and here's how it ends is another kaiju shows up and instead of Godzilla protecting America, he just goes back in the fucking water. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you here for this? Fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, He's I like, here, it's just see this group of people, don't touch them. The rest of it's fair game. I'm out. <laughs> this is my territory. This is where it ends. Stop it. <laughs> and I was thinking we could also get like really silly too. Like, if, you know, going back to the past, how much, you know, mythology you want to bring into it, you could have where the people of Atlantis originally attacked the native americans and that's why atlantis sank because godzilla was like fuck your no. island these are my people they're under my protection <laughs> you're gonna go in the ocean <laughs> maybe that could be that could be like the 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 godzilla year one or something like yeah. that you know that you know it's like it's, it, it doesn't even take place in current day and that could be like the sequel is or no it would have to be we'd have to see the one with current day godzilla coming and he's you know smashing really... up America. We don't know why. And then he finds the native people and he's like, oh, there you are. And then it would be a prequel would explain the relationship between Godzilla and the native people and how the Atlanteans were trying to destroy the natives. So then Godzilla sank them and dragged them into the ocean. And... What's really funny to me is that we kind of started talking about like spiritual myths and then Mormonism, which postulates that Jesus visited america in prehistory the way we're saying for godzilla so godzilla is jesus in this mythology yeah and on that note i think that's about (laughs) enough of that and we've got the texts that mean pizza (laughs) oh maybe i haven't checked oh yeah it is nine oh look at that (laughs) so here here's tim with the final word jesus (laughs) that's great i'll see you next time (laughs) 